You are listening to a podcast from The National. Look, the killer is not New Zealander, and the reaction of the New Zealand people are amazing. You know, is amazing. That's Jana Adnanazat talking to The National's Ashley Stewart over the phone from Christchurch. Mrs. Azat lost her son, Hussein Alamari, a UAE-born Iraqi who lived in New Zealand, in last week's twin mosque massacre in Christchurch. Hussein was one of 50 who died in that terrorist attack. Uh, he is a hero, and uh, we always will say the hero Hussein, the Shahid Hussein. I'm Campbell McDiamond, Assistant Foreign Editor at The National. And I'm Ashley Stewart. We released this episode of Beyond the Headlines exactly one week since the massacre in Christchurch. Ash and I, both expatriated New Zealanders, will use this occasion to talk about the victims, their stories, how Kiwis have come together, how the world has responded, and we ask what happens next. New Zealand has been chosen because we are not a place where violent extremism exists. We reject those notions and we must continue to reject them. Ash, to begin with, could you explain the scale of these attacks? So 50 people were killed when a gunman visited two mosques in Christchurch last Friday. And for a small country like New Zealand, this is, it's huge. It's unprecedented, especially for a country that doesn't really experience large-scale acts of violence. Um, And especially in Christchurch, which is a city that's been struggling in the aftermath of a couple of massive earthquakes that rocked the city eight years ago and killed 185 people. So for a city that's that's dealing with the after effects of that, such as mental health issues and all that kind of thing, I mean, it was basically the worst thing that could have happened. Yeah, we're, we're a small country of about 5 million people. So, you know, people are talking about this in terms of, you know, you know, comparable um, on the the impact to New Zealanders as, you know, the uh, 9-11 attacks were um, on Americans. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that impact has been in New Zealand? So in terms of the immediate aftermath, I mean, I think everyone was kind of in a state of shock. This type of evil, I guess, or violence. I mean, New Zealanders have always looked at that happening overseas and just thought it's never going to happen here or thank God that's not happening here. Um, So for it to finally come to New Zealand and for terrorism to finally arrive, I mean, that's huge. I think the whole reason that New Zealanders was in such a state of mourning afterwards was because this, this comment was being bandied around was that we'd lost our innocence. And it's I think true because, I mean, if terrorism's finally arrived in New Zealand, then people are just saying, no, we're safe. Yeah. And, and then there definitely was, has been a sense in New Zealand that we were somewhat unique in, in that regard, somewhat isolated from the world. Now, the target of the attack was New Zealand Muslims. And New Zealand's a fairly multi-ethnic place. Um, but this is not a big community that we're talking about. There's maybe 50,000 Muslims in New Zealand or about 1% of the population. Ash, how have other, what have other New Zealanders done to come out and support the uh, New Zealand Muslim community after this attack? So directly afterwards, 
what I think really set New Zealand apart was that everyone has really come out in force um, in support of the Muslim community. So there's been incredible acts of kindness and empathy directed towards the Muslim community, not just in Christchurch, but across New Zealand. So, I mean, amazing things like powerful gangs going out and offering to guard mosques um, so Muslim people can go and go and pray. People have been performing hakas up and down the country. The haka is the, the Maori war dance that you might have seen the All Blacks perform and things like that. Um, the, the sea of flowers outside the mosques in Christchurch has just grown. Um, people are responding with food and really generous acts of kindness and things like that. The the fun, fundraising page has raised about $9 million for the victims and their families, which is incredible. Yeah, it seems like overall this attack has been treated by New Zealanders as an attack on New Zealanders, on atta- an attack on New Zealand values. And the response so far seems to have been, you know, we will not let you do that and you will not succeed in those goals. And I think it'd be, you know, um, impossible to talk about the response without mentioning our Prime Minister, who's played a very prominent role this week. Mr Speaker, the 15th of March will now be forever a day etched in our collective memories. On a quiet Friday afternoon, a man stormed into a place of peaceful worship and took away the lives of 50 people. That quiet Friday afternoon has become our darkest of days. It was the day that the simple act of prayer, of practicing their Muslim faith and religion, led to the loss of their loved ones' lives. Those loved ones were brothers, daughters, fathers and children. They were New Zealanders. They are us. What what kind of things has she been doing this week, Ash? So I think from the outset, Jacinda showed herself as a very strong leader and she fronted up pretty much straight away to everything that was going on. I mean, she was very quick off the mark in condemning the the act and calling it a terrorist attack. She was very quick to to kind of state that that was what was going on. She went straight down to Christchurch. She met with community leaders. She went straight to the Muslim community. She was pictured wearing that um, headscarf and the the photo that went viral. She really showed herself as a human, not just a prime minister. And she was she was out there speaking to the to, to everyone. She was embracing people. She was hugging people. She was giving speeches. And since then, I mean, she's really gained a lot of plaudits from everywhere, from the international community, from the New Zealand community. It's It's been quite incredible to watch. So what we've seen from Jacinda Ardern has been a mix of concrete actions, you know, announcing an inquiry, um, some of the other things you've mentioned, and very poignant gestures, you know, her, her very human emotive response and, you know, gestures like wearing the, um, the veil in solidarity. Um, and one of the things we've decided today is we're not 
going to mention the name of the shooter, and that's that's a decision that um, has been taken by us after something that Jacinda said this week in Parliament. He sought many things from his act of terror, but one was notoriety, and that is why you will never hear me mention his name. He is a terrorist, he is a criminal, he is an extremist, but he will, when I speak, be nameless. Yeah, so pretty early on, Jacinda came out and said that despite the fact that the gunman was seeking this notoriety, we weren't going to give him that. So she has vowed never to speak his name and she's kind of implored everyone else to do the same. And I think that it's kind of an unwritten rule in New Zealand right now. I mean, a lot of the media outlets aren't naming him. He is being photographed with uh, his face blurred out. And it's just it's just something that I think everyone is instinctively doing now. And she's, she's asked people to focus on the victims. Yes. So she has said specifically speak their names, don't speak his. So there's been an incredible amount of stories of heroism and things like that that have come out of this, and she wants people to remember to remember those rather than him. Could you tell us a little bit about some of your reporting this week and some of the people you've spoken to? Yeah, so I spent a lot of this week speaking to victims' families um, and a lot of people across Christchurch. And I think one of the enduring stories that um, I've come across was Hussein Alamaris, who was born in Abu Dhabi. He moved to Christchurch in 1997. Um, he was at the mo- he was at Al Noor Mosque on Friday afternoon, and his family was supposed to meet him for lunch afterwards, but he didn't show up. Um, so they were in a bit of a state of panic all afternoon. They went to the cordon to try and find him. They went to the hospital to try and find him. And when the in- list of injured got put up, he wasn't on there. So they feared the worst. And as it turned out, Hussein did die in the in the attacks. But as witnesses later said, he was he was a hero. He was one of the only people that turned and faced the shooter when he came in and he went after him trying to stop him. And that's how he died. And that's one thing that his mother is taking a lot of comfort in. Um, I mean, Jana loves Christchurch. She loves New Zealand and that's not going to change anything for her. And you've been on the phone with her this week. How is she handling this tragedy? She's handling it probably as well as she can. I can imagine she's under a great deal of shock having to wait for the body to be released. It's just been released today. So when we spoke to her, she was in quite a hurry as she'd she'd just gone and seen Hussein's body um, and she was trying to figure out the funeral arrangements for it. She's trying to come to terms with it the best she can. Her family are all grieving, but they've been incredible at standing up and talking to the media about it simply because I think they want Hussein to be remembered for what he was, which was a hero. I mean, he tried to stop what was going on, and that's one thing that his mum is taking solace in. Did she tell you what her last memories of Hussein were? Yeah, she did. So Hussein was around at the family home on the Thursday night before the attacks, and the family had just gotten a brand new car. Oh my God. He was so happy. He was so happy and hugging me. 
Mama, the car is very nice. The car is very nice. Congratulations at hugging, hugging me. And yeah, uh, he was at that day. And also his, you know, friend was seeing him at, uh, in the morning before he came to us. He said he was uh, happy. He was happy. She that's and that's just going to be how she remembers him. He was so he was congratulating the family. He was so happy that they got this new car, and he was really looking forward to seeing them the next day. So she's really obviously traumatized, but sort of determined to hold on to the good memories. You know, she sounds determined not to let this destroy her love of her home. Um, and obviously, it sounds like all of New Zealand is traumatized, but also seems determined to focus on positive things that they can do to make sure this kind of thing doesn't happen again and that it doesn't, you know, it only brings us together and makes us stronger. What are the most important things you've seen happening this week in that regard, you know, ways that New Zealand is looking to make sure this never happens again? Yeah, so one of the things that Jana said that really stuck with me towards the end of our conversations was the fact that New Zealand was still the safest place in the world to her and that she she never questioned whether or not Hussein would be buried there because that's his home. I think a lot of New Zealanders have taken solace in the fact that the government has been so quick to act and the fact that there's going to be change. Yeah, one of the probably the biggest changes that we've seen so far is that on Thursday, Jacinda Ardern said that the kind of weapon that was used in the shooting, a military-style semi-automatic rifle, will be outlawed. In short... Every semi-automatic weapon used in the terrorist attack on Friday will be banned in this country. Yeah, there's something I think that New Zealand has really taken on board well. I mean, no one's jumping up and down, well, that I can see, saying, no, please don't do this, don't take away our guns or anything like that. Like, I mean, farmers across the country have been going into police stations and handing these weapons over, just saying that they don't need them, that their use is, I mean, the way they're used is so unimportant that they'd rather put the needs of the country ahead of that. Yeah, I think in general, New Zealanders have a much more pragmatic relationship to their firearms than in the US where people have such an emotive attachment. You know, it's all bound up with uh, the constitution and things. I mean, there's still a lot of firearms in New Zealand, um, and about 350,000 licensed users. But people in New Zealand treat firearms as a tool, and when they talk about firearms, they're talking about the the application, what these guns are used for. And the main uses for firearms in New Zealand is is recreational shooting, hunting, and pest control. Um and, you know, in, in looking at what kind of weapons to ban, you know, I think it's worth recognising that, you know, it's already a very restrictive um, system we have in New Zealand um, to get a firearms licence. There are already weapons that you cannot buy easily. You know, we don't have pistols, handguns on the street. We don't have fully automatic weapons. And... It's long been recognised that you know there is a lot of loopholes in the law which enables someone to buy a an otherwise legal 
semi-automatic rifle and put a high-capacity magazine in, into it, and you know you suddenly have a weapon that um, is maybe perfect for a uh, a mass shooting, but doesn't have a lot of legitimate applications. So the kind of people who will be affected by this ban, a very small number of people, um, mm. and I think there's probably broad recognition that you know it's worth it in the name of public safety to uh, to introduce a restriction like that. Yeah. And like we were saying before, New Zealand doesn't exactly have mass shootings uh, often. Our last large-scale shooting was in the early 90s and it was in a, a small town just north of Dunedin and it was, I mean, it w- wasn't a racially charged event or anything like that. It was just, I mean, it was 13 people that died. So, I mean, we're a country where if one person dies, whether it's a car crash or a murder or whatever, it, it always makes the nightly news. So that's, that's why something like this has been so unprecedented. And I think there is, you know, this is a concrete step that can be taken. Um, you know, there's a sense that if without a semi-automatic weapon, you know, a high-caliber weapon with a large magazine, you just wouldn't be able to, um, you'd still have crazy people on the streets who might have access to firearms, but they wouldn't have the ability to, you know, kill 50 people. So, Ash, you've had a really um, busy week talking to people back home who've been affected by this. Um, Who are some of the people you've been talking to and um, what kind of stories have they told you? So in terms of uh, people on the ground in Christchurch, I spoke a lot on Friday as everything was unfolding to people like the city councillors and things like that, and they were really grappling to to understand the magnitude of the situation. I mean, one of the councillors, Yanni Johansson, had had to take a bunch of school children upstairs into the council chambers where they literally hid um, and spent the afternoon in lockdown. Uh, and he just basically said that this this act of violence is going to change the way New Zealanders do stuff forever. I mean, we're a country where police are not armed. I mean, they carry tasers and some people think that's inhumane. We, um, we're a very innocent country where we don't really have to think about our security. So a lot of people are saying that that's going to change radically in the wake of this. Right. And um, who else have you been speaking to? So I spoke to a number of uh, victims' families. One of them was Ali Adib. Um, it was his 23rd birthday when the attacks occurred. He was one of Hussein's friends. Um, he saw Hussein running towards the gunman in an attempt to save everyone else. And when the shooter came in, it was his dad, who is a he's an executive for ACOM, who lives between Dubai and New Zealand. Um, so his dad jumped in front of him and shielded him from the bullets. And in doing so, he took a bullet um, in the back, just missed his spine. What condition is his dad in now? His dad is now in a medically induced coma. He has got a couple more surgeries ahead of him. He's not awake as far as I know now. Um, but Ali was just saying that he's it's been a traumatic time for his him and his family but he's thankful to be alive he was one of the only people that stood up after the shooter had gone because there were just simply not that many people that were left alive um how was he when you spoke to him on the phone he was incredibly stoic 
to be honest. He, the, the resilience that these people have shown is incredible considering their loss and the fact that they've been through it as well. Um, I mean, he spoke very pragmatically about everything that had happened, but I can imagine it's going to be the coming days where people are, are really feeling the effects of that grief. And the people you spoke to, what did they say about the response since the attack? Everyone has been overwhelmed with generosity and they're incredibly impressed with the way that New Zealand has come out in force for them. Have there been any kind of issues in the response or has there been you know, a lot of um, shoegazing about how an attack like this could happen in New Zealand? So I think that was a big question on a lot of people's minds in the immediate aftermath of the attacks is how this man slipped through the cracks and why wasn't he on terrorism watch lists, especially when he sent his big manifesto that he posted online to the prime minister's office days before he carried this out. And there's been questions around the police response times and things like that. But when you consider the fact that the, the two guys that caught the terrorist in the end were rural cops from who were just in town for training. They were driving down the road. They saw the terrorist car and they turned around and rammed it off the street and apprehended him immediately. I mean, that's kind of amazing. And this guy wasn't from New Zealand. He he was from Australia. Has there been in, any indication about why he singled out New Zealand as the place where he'd carry out his attack? I think the only thing that's been said since is that he wanted to show that this could happen anywhere. And so even in the safest country in the world, he wanted to show that terrorism can occur even in New Zealand. What's amazing to me is that New Zealanders haven't reacted negatively against Australians or anything like that. There's been quite a show of solidarity between the two countries. Thank you to Ashley Stewart for offering her insights and a very special thanks to Mrs. Jenna Adnan Azat for talking to us in her time of mourning. Beyond the Headlines is on Apple Podcasts or any of your favourite podcasting apps. Follow more of our coverage on our website, thenational.ae. I've been your host, Campbell McDiamond. Join us again next week.